You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. And glad to be with you, Kyla, and also your dog. Yes, uh, or our podcast band, Wrigley and the Barkettes. Uh, yes, so since his health improved, he's barking a lot. He's barking a lot more, he's got more energy, it's great and not great at the same time. Just because of the barking and, him, um, you know, it's kind of nice when he's calm. In any event, he's calm at this moment, so we better get right into the podcast. Yes. Um, You were talking to me because we've, uh, of course, just seen the passage of all of those uh, vulnerable road user, e-bike laws, the the self-driving laws. They've all come through. They've all been passed. They're not in force and effect yet, I don't think. Oh, they are. They are? No. Oh, well, there you go. Um, good thing I was always giving a wide berth to cyclists anyway. Well, I didn't I didn't see if there was a specific provision for when they would come into force and effect, but they were uh, they did get third reading. So well, uh, and the Motor Vehicle Act hasn't been changed they, online yet. I didn't think they've been enacted yet, but in any event, um the you raised a very interesting issue about police powers under the new legislation to seize and inspect e-bikes. Well, I was on uh, Mike Smith on Holiday Monday, and I was talking about it, and I was, of course, reading the legislation again before that. And one of the interesting thing that, things that's in there is the police can seize a device. Uh, it's kind of open with what they can seize, but basically it's looking at anything that's powered. Um, if they have reasonable grounds and seize it to inspect it, uh, and you're not allowed to, it's like very clear in the legislation, you're not allowed to give them any grief as they're doing it. Yeah, it's an uh, offense to obstruct a police officer in doing it. Well, it doesn't say that it's an offense, but of course it's listing it there that, you know, this is your obligation. So it would be an obligation. And I suppose it could be made into an offense depending on how you behave. But the point is that there's no time limit on it and there's no review of it uh, anywhere set out in the Motor Vehicle Act, which, um, you know, I know you have clear feelings about that. Thoughts. I have thoughts. Uh, but, you know, it always worries me when there's no review provision in there and that it's like this broad police power and you can't um, challenge their grounds to do it. And yep. then you have no idea what happens with your device. When do you get device. it back? How do you get it back? When do they inspect it? What's Is there a timeline? Do they have to do it in 30 days, 90 days, seven days? Uh, three years, you know, you don't really know. And I, they, I know what they're trying to do. They're concerned about people who modify their e-bikes or build their own e-bike and have a motor that's too powerful. Or take the brakes off or disable or take the pedals off, disable the pedals. Sure. Um, that, that too. Or, uh, but I think mostly just trying to overpower them. Um, and my e-bike is speed limited at 30 kilometers an hour and I really can't pedal it faster than that. And it's a, you know, stock and design that way. But I have, I'm also passed by people on e-bikes that are not like racing e-bikes. Um, and they're people going 10 kilometers an hour faster than that. I just thought it was interesting that this legislation is coming in that allows the police to take these things with basically any grounds they want. And also the BC government will give you $1,500 to buy an e-bike. Sure. And that was just announced yesterday. Um, and it's, it's 
still income related. So if you're, um, you know, you have to demonstrate your need for the subsidy or the amount of the subsidy to which you are entitled, I guess. Uh, but they've got, they've set, for me, then. they've set several, yeah, you make too much money to get a free bike. They've set uh, a few million dollars aside and um, hopefully people will get the word and get out there and get themselves an e-bike. And then they can seize them and sell them and pay for more rebates. Yeah, you're pretty cynical <laughs> about that. Anyway, I am concerned about that that broad power of search and seizure. I know you think the criminal code's going to kick in at that point. Well, but I don't see it as a criminal it yeah. can, because if any provision is not provided for in the Offense Act for a procedure, then the criminal code covers it. And the offenses under the Motor Vehicle Act are covered by the Offense Act. So arguably, you could do a 490. I mean, you could anyway, because the police seized something. Um, but I also think it opens this legislation up to being constitutionally challenged. Yes, I think it does. Um, and I think it's something that they could certainly write a constitutional version of it. Um, they just need a review process. All they have to do is write a review process and set some timelines in there. Um, they, they, they write legislation so often uh, with the idea of giving the police broad powers, assuming the police are going to be uh, responsible in the use of their broad powers. And of course, so <laughs> so often so often they're not and you know we yeah. we presented in parliament where the government lawyer was saying oh no prosecutor would ever approve such a charge if they ever did that we take them you know oh more senior prosecutor take them out to the woodshed and come on like no. no we see all sorts of things that that would offend most people if you were if you were uh, in our position as lawyers and and having that client phoning us so We'll see how that one plays out. Yes, we will. Paul, should we take a McGracken moment? Always a good time for a McGracken moment. Ladies and gentlemen, let loose the law and justice. Kraken! Eric McGracken! Welcome to the McGracken Moment. I want to talk about uh, ICBC permanent impairment applications. Now, if you've listened to my rants before, you'll understand that under no fault, people can get lump sum payments, but they are really, I mean, comically small. We're talking about people with permanent injuries, broken limbs, broken hips, quadriplegia, nasty things just getting a few thousand dollars for their permanent injuries, just depending on how severe they are. But uh, I want to talk about applications for these damages. A bit of clarity came out from a recent case called Bait and ICBC. Now, you had a litigant here who claimed they had permanent impairment and they sought some of these damages from ICBC. And they weren't successful. The claim was dismissed with the Civil Resolution Tribunal finding that the applicant failed to prove their injuries are permanent. Nothing shocking there, but here's the good news from the case. The Civil Resolution Tribunal said you can get more than one kick at the can, possibly multiple kicks at the can. The tribunal member dismissed the case, but went on to say this, quote, 
so I dismiss his claim for permanent impairment compensation at this time. Nothing in this decision prevents the applicant from reapplying for permanent impairment compensation if and when his injuries become permanent, end quote. So good news, folks. Even though the whole system is rotten and even though the compensation for permanent impairment is terribly low, if you bring an application and you fail because your injuries might get better, you can always reapply in the future. That's a bit of positive news for people in this new ICBC landscape. Thank you. Thank you, Eric, for your insights. And please don't forget, you can always reach out to Eric. He is very reachable. I want to just shift gears completely and talk about distracted driving. Because although you would think that 13 years into having distracted driving laws in British Columbia, the law could not be clearer, we find ourselves time and again on this podcast Talking about distracted. Kyla Lee has a bee in her bonnet. She I wrote do. she wrote a change to the legislation. So she published it and the government could just take it. It made a lot of sense. And we've seen two, count them, two uh uh motor vehicle act amendment uh bills that have gone That's through the legislation, uh, gone through the legislature this year, and we're in uh just end of May. Of course, the legislature is not sitting now, but um, to amend the Motor Vehicle Act and still not amending any of the provisions with respect to cell phones. And I'm telling you, I'm seeing every day, every day, people just egregiously violating the cell phone laws because they, I don't know, maybe it's just a lack of confidence or a belief that they're not going to get caught. Um, But there's another new decision this week. So this case is, I don't know how to pronounce this guy's first name, always. I don't think you need to pronounce it. No, I don't. Uh, Mr. Mirza, who got a distracted driving ticket, and um, it was issued to him because the officer testified that he saw Mr. Mirza um, with his phone on his lap, um, that he then picked up his phone from his lap, moved it over to the passenger seat upon seeing the officer, and then was issued the ticket. Well, Mr. Mirza testified something different, and his testimony was accepted essentially because it would um, they didn't have to deal with that conflict in the testimony. Mr. Mirza said it, he had both hands on the wheel, his cell phone was off, uh, and it was leaning against his leg. Yeah. He said uh, basically there was a pocket between the driver's seat and the door, and he had the phone in the pocket there, but leaning on his body. Yeah, he, it, right, it yeah. seems that he was sort of um, maybe tripped up in cross-examination, maybe not prepared for the fact that this was going to be an issue because he was not clear about it, but um, it's repeated in the decision that he did say it was leaning against his body. Yeah, and the judicial justice accepted that he didn't pick up the phone and move it, but he basically relied on the evidence from Mr. Mirza that it was touching his leg. And then convicted him on the basis of the phone touching his leg. So Mr. Mirza appeals and says, look, just because it's touching my leg, just because it's leaning up against my leg is not the same as me holding it. I don't have it on my lap where I'm resting it on my lap and holding it with my leg. It's not in my hand. It's not a disabled phone that I'm holding and arguing that it's not capable of being used. It's just 
butted up against my body. Well, he also said, look, this is not the intention of the legislation because, you know, it was not in use um, and there was nobody disputing that it was in use. He had it uh, either leaning on his leg or balanced on his leg. Either way, the court said, you know, um, when he was convicted that it was the same thing, Um, but not on and hands on the wheel looking straight ahead, which was a little different than some of the other cases out there. Yeah, definitely different than uh, the other cases. So the court goes through an exhaustive like analysis of the distracted driving cases that have dealt with phones that are kind of partially being touched or used. Um, and they look at the Tannhauser case, which we talked about before, uh, several years ago from the Court of Appeal, where Tannhauser says um, what the court says is a complete answer to Mr. Mirza's arguments. Um, In Tannhauser, the decision made clear that the functionality of the device is not the issue. It is the device itself. How stupid. (laughs) Like I said, I know I said this at the time of Tannhauser, but how stupid. How stupid a law. Yeah, I mean, I don't don't view it the same way you do. I, I think the idea here is to separate people from their phones. Right, but I can hold a cheeseburger and I can hold a cell phone. And if the cell phone doesn't work... The cheeseburger and the cell phone are equally dangerous. Um, yes, and it's not an issue of the danger there. Again, it's I want an, a cheeseburger. I know I want a cheeseburger too. It's um the um I had good cheeseburgers yesterday um from Wendy's and I had a great one at Fatburger the other day. Um, but that's not what we're here to talk about. <laughs> the um point I think and the intention here is that cell phone no matter what and the difficulty in proving it, right? So this is basically an evidentiary concern. So it's giving them an evidentiary step. You assume that it is a functional cell phone that a person could use, and it's very difficult for a police officer who's walking by and just looking through the window to be able to make that determination. And everybody would come along and say, oh, my cell phone wasn't working or my battery was dead or something like that. And so it's really an issue of uh, uh, an evidentiary um, shortcut that is provided to the Crown in these circumstances. I don't think so, because in my version of the legislation that I wrote, I simply said that the burden is on the accused to establish that the phone was not operable. And also, like, think about the disclosure we get and the information we see in most distracted driving cases. What about the presumption of innocence, Kyla? Now you're switching the burden in the case. It's an exception. So the presumption is uh, that the burden is on the accused to uh, prove an exception or an excuse, in fact. Sorry, that's Gillespie from the Supreme Court of Canada. Um, <laughs> the no, What about my freedom? What about your freedom, Paul? But the, the police are often testifying or making observations or telling me, oh yeah, I saw the phone in his hand and the screen was lit up and I could see the text message bubbles or I could see him shuffling through his songs on iTunes. I could see what app they had open. I could yeah. see he was on TikTok watching Kyla Lee. Yeah, yeah that would be ironic. Um, yeah, so the court had to consider whether or not it was holding um, that... Uh, they had leaning done against leaning leg. against his leg. And uh, the, the court essentially said, yep, holding it is includes leaning it against your leg. So it does not matter. Court accepted his evidence. And even yeah. at the, at the uh, appellate level, the court accepted his evidence that his hands were on the wheels. He, he, wheel, he was looking ahead. Uh, but of course, he had 
testified that it was leaning, it might have been leaning against his leg. Um, and um, yeah, as a uh, as a consequence, that was upheld. So Kyla and I have argued about this ourselves before when uh, I had argued that you could pin your phone face down under your leg um, using your leg because, of course, I drive old trucks and sometimes I don't necessarily have somewhere to put my phone and I have had my phone pinned down under my leg. Mm. Maybe I had mine face down. His was faced up. Um, I don't know that it's uh, that it's completely decided here, but I would tell you, don't have your phone on your person uh, unless put, it's in your pocket. Like, put your phone on the passenger seat. Like, honestly, I, I came, I argued, I gave that to people. Why are they not just putting their phone on the passenger seat? So easy. So easy. And also, like, I mean, you can still see the screen if it's on the passenger seat if you are the type of person who's going to glance at your phone. It's surprising how many people pick up and move their phone at a set of lights and end up with a ticket. Yeah. And that's all you have to do. And uh, there was some evidence of that here, although that wasn't what was relied on to uh, to uphold this conviction when it went to appeal. So there we go. One more cell phone case one the more. put in the library. Yeah. One more in the, in the bags for the government to still do nothing to the law about. So anyway... Paul, it's time for the Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by LexisNexis, cross-examination the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. I can see that you have your phone open and I know what this ridiculous driver is. And I, I'm. It's somebody who does not make me laugh. Doesn't make me laugh either. It just it makes. It's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. And I, like everybody take a pill, you know, like. So this is a video. You can find it on Daily Hive or I think it's Prettiest Princess posted it on TikTok. But there might be some numbers there. I can't really see their name. Um, it's a guy in Coquitlam who's driving a Jeep, and I guess some other driver cut him off, and he was having none of it. Yeah, he's driving a Jeep Wrangler, silver, big, full-size one, four-door, uh, and he, I guess, asserts that some the person in the vehicle beside him, he said, uh, who was stopped at a set of lights, cut him off in some way. No damage to his Jeep, no, you know, whatever. Somebody made a mistake. Maybe they failed to signal or something, and he pulls up, Rolls down the window and basically screams ob obscenities. Go fuck um, your mother. Go fuck your father. Yeah. Brainless white trash. Um, and uh, insults, but yeah, I I don't know. Like, just people have to settle down. Um, you know, uh, 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 getting cut off is not a a threat to your manhood. Um, it's not the end of the world unless you have an accident and you rolled your car three times. Uh, and it's usually somebody made a mistake. Like every time I've cut someone off, it's been because I was like not paying attention to where they were. I was looking at something else or I was, well, the other day I ran right through a red light and cut someone off. <laughs> Very scary. But thankfully it was like a T intersection. So there was only one direction of traffic. And I, I was looking at that direction of traffic. I just did not process the red light. I was driving you to court the other day in Coquitlam. Somebody in a silver SUV was uh, in our right-hand lane and went to change lanes. You were conducting a hearing 
uh, over the phone and I was getting you to traffic court oh. where I also had to conduct a hearing. And uh, so I had to do an evasive maneuver. I beeped my horn once. After that, that was it. You know, the driver realized that they made a mistake. They got back into their lane. We didn't die. Uh, I'm certainly not going to pull up beside him and start screaming obscenities. This is, uh, this ridiculous driver is ridiculous and he is, uh, goes in the hall of shame. Yes. I, I will tell you my favorite time that I was the victim of a road rager, um, who I guess perceived that I was driving too aggressively, which you've seen me drive. <laughs> you no. know, my aggressive driving is pretty darn cautious. Um, and he pulled up beside me at a red light and I unrolled my window because he was giving me the roll your window down signal. And he he went, who do you think you are? The fucking Prince of English? <laughs> what? Uh, you should have responded with a British accent. Indeed. I think I just said, I'm a girl. <laughs> like, what do you say to that? <laughs> anyway, um, that's our podcast. Great. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Driving Law. If you have a driving law-related issue or you have a distracted driving ticket, you can give us a call at 604-685-8889 or find us online at vancouvercriminallaw.com and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Driving Law.